The left and the news media, but I repeat myself, are now in full attack mode trying to strip you of the God-given right to bear arms that's protected by the Constitution. God himself has not weighed in on the issue yet, except by making Brian Stelter look like Brian Stelter, which may be all the comment he felt was required. Since the left and the news media, but I repeat myself, always need someone to demonize in these debates, they're going after the National Rifle Association because it defends the God-given right to bear arms protected by the Constitution that the left and the media, but I repeat myself, are trying to take away. The NRA is not represented by someone who looks like Brian Stelter, but is instead represented by Dana Lash. Uh, just, just saying. Because the left and the news media, but I repeat myself, are such caring and compassionate people, they've chosen to exploit traumatized young people who know nothing about anything to make their case in what leftist law professor Lawrence Tribe has dubbed a children's crusade. The children's crusade, you'll remember, was the legendary 13th century march of Christian children against the Muslims, which ended with most of the children being killed at sea or sold into slavery. So that went well. Leftists in the news media, I'm sorry to keep repeating myself, I have a speech impediment caused by the fact that the news media is corrupt. Leftists in the news media love children because children can be used to exploit people's emotions and get them to give up their God-given rights protected by the Constitution. About 1,300 children are killed by guns in the U.S. every year, which is less than half the number of children killed by abortion in the U.S. every single day. Let me repeat that. About 1,300 children are killed by guns each year, while 3,000 children are killed by abortion every day. Now, my point is not that the children killed by guns have at least some small chance to fight back or escape, while the children killed by abortion are utterly helpless. My point is not that the children endangered by guns can protest and take political action, while the children killed by abortion have no voice and no vote. My point is not that gun organizations like the NRA want more people to be able to defend themselves, while abortion organizations like Planned Parenthood ghoulishly sell the body parts of the children they slaughter while the news media looks on with approval. Oh wait, those actually are my points. Also that the left and the news media kill babies and then use children to attack your God-given freedoms. Yeah, those are pretty much my points. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. All right, DC McAllister is going to be with us. She is an excellent uh, writer on social issues. I want to talk to her about the state of the relations between the sexes, the two sexes. There are only two on this show. Other places, who knows what's going on. Also, the mailbag is tomorrow. So that means that you want to go on the dailywire.com, hit the podcast button, hit my podcast, then hit the mailbag button to leave your to leave your questions about anything you want, and I will answer about religion, your personal life, politics. Answers are guaranteed 100% correct and will change your life every now and then for the better. But, but before you can do it, you got to subscribe. You have to be a subscriber to get in the mailbag. You also have to be a subscriber to get your letters in the mailbag. So if you want to be in the mailbag with your letters, first subscribe. It's a lousy 10 bucks a month. I solve all your problems. For a lousy 100, 100 bucks a month, I'll solve your problems all year long. And you can drink leftist tears from your leftist tears tumbler. So it's a really excellent deal. Uh, the mailbag tomorrow, be there. 
and all your problems will be solved. I mean, look in the mirror. Do you want to continue like this? Of course not. So send in your questions. February is almost, February is a short month. It's, all, it's, it's always like it's here. Hey, it's February. Oh, it's March. And, you know, that's why it's, it's already, we're already, what, over half, well over halfway through, and you still haven't got life insurance. And you know what that means. Soon it will be March, and you still won't have life insurance unless you go to Policy Genius. Policy Genius makes everything about getting insurance easier and quicker. Policy Genius is an easy way to compare and buy life insurance online. They let you compare quotes in minutes. You can save a lot of money doing that. And it just takes a little while, and they don't push anything on you. They're not giving you a sales pitch. You don't go on Policy Genius, and then you open the door, and somebody's stand, standing outside. You just do it yourself. You go on and look at the, what they've got, compare the prices, get the one that's right for you. And they don't just insure life, either. They insure everything in your life. You can compare health insurance, disability insurance, pet insurance, and renter's insurance. Policy Genius has helped over 4 million people shop for insurance and placed over $20 billion in coverage, and they save you money too. So if you're struggling to fit 31 days worth of stuff into a 28-day month, save time by comparing life insurance online with Policy Genius. There's no sales pressure, zero hassle. You can get quotes in five minutes. PolicyGenius.com, because if you need life insurance, and you do, it shouldn't take a lifetime to get it. That would obviously spoil the whole thing, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> By the time you needed the life insurance, it would all be over. You know why the left the left is doing this whole thing where they're using the traumatized children from the school shooting in Florida and for all I know other you know CNN is going to hold a town hall. I mean it's it's despicable, let's face it. Because because their trauma is touching, but it has nothing to do with whether they know anything about what would help curtail shootings. It has nothing to do with anything except to manipulate your emotions to get take away your Second Amendment rights. That's the only reason they're doing it. I mean, they're not bringing on children who say, like, no, we defend gun rights. That's not going to happen. It's all about the children, and it's all about show, and the news media is just in on it. They're just, that's how corrupt they are. You know why the left always use children? They, you know, whatever you do, you say, like, well, people, you know, we have the right to have guns so we can defend ourselves against an encroach, the encroachment of government, uh, you know, oppression, and they say, but what about the children? You know, you say, well, People, you know, yes, that might be a good government program, but I have the right to keep my money and decide how I should spend it myself. Well, what about the children? You know, you say, uh, whatever, we should we should be able to defend our borders. Oh, but look at the little children who came over and we don't want to send, you know, it's the dreamers. The dreamers all came back. The reason they use children is because we all agree that children are not free agents and they need protection. And what the left wants to do is they want everybody to envision himself as a children, like that Obama video of the life of Julia. Obama's going to take care of you from cradle to grave because you're a child and the government is the big adult. And we all agree that some of the things that the left wants to do apply to children. Nobody wants to see seven-year-olds go in and buy a gun. Nobody wants that. So they're, they're basically extrapolating all the time to make all of us feel like children. And of course, children touch our emotions because we feel protective toward them. And what they're saying is, don't you want the government to do that? And what they don't understand, it's always about premises. Everything is about premises. Everything is about making people establish their premise. Our premise, conservative premise, Americans' premise, is freedom. We start with freedom. And the thing is, this is the way arguments take place in this country. There's a crisis, there's a tragedy, there's something that will cut uh, touch your emotions. Remember what the left always says, no good crisis should go to waste. That's what they always say. What they mean is no good crisis should pass without their manipulating it to increase their power over your life, right? And so what we are saying is we want to be free. So they come and say, well, look, there's a terrible crisis and we can fix it. And what we're saying, wait, we want 
to be free. And when we have CNN praising North Korea, we know it's only a little while before CNN shows up at our house and wants to turn our house into North Korea. We need our guns. These are not people we want to allow to come anywhere near us unless we have guns to protect ourselves and protect our freedoms. I know, I know that some government programs make life better. I know that government programs occasionally will do things that, you know, other people can't do, but do they encroach on your freedom? And do I want to trade my freedom bit by bit for each little thing that they do well? No, I do not. If you made my life, you know, I tried to explain this to somebody at the prayer breakfast. It was really tough. I said, if, if you made my life perfect, but I had no choice, I couldn't make my own choices about my life. I would prefer to take the dangers, take the risks, take the flaws in order to be free. Why? Because freedom is where the meaning of life comes from. You do not have, life has no meaning if you are not making choices. And that's when they get to say we're evil because they say, oh, here's the thing that would fix this. Here is program A that would give me in Washington all the power, take the power away from you, but it would fix this. We say, no, thank you. They'll keep the freedom. They say, oh, you don't want to fix that. You're so mean. You're so mean. You say, you know, let, it, let us take a trip just to watch the way these guys argue and to watch the way they talk. Let us take a trip to Knucklehead Row, the op-ed page of the New York Times. On Knucklehead Row, there is no greater knucklehead than Paul Krugman. I think other knuckleheads are simply aspiring knuckleheads to the knucklehead king, Paul Krugman. Virtually everything he says is untrue. Today, he unleashes on the GOP saying they have no character, Republicans stink, everything about them is awful. The modern GOP is, to an extent, never before seen in American history, a party built around bad faith, around pretending that its concerns and goals are very different from what they really are flag-waving claims of patriotism, pious invocations of morality, stern warnings about fiscal probity are all cover stories for an underlying agenda mainly concerned with making plutocrats even richer. That's what I want. I want plutocrats because why, why would I want that? Why would I want that? Why would the people who vote for Donald Trump go out there to make plutocrats richer? That is insane. It doesn't matter. Let, let us go on with the knucklehead Paul Krugman. And the character flaws of the party end up being echoed by the character flaws of its most prominent members. Are they bad people who chose their political affiliation because it fits their proclivities or potentially good people corrupted by the company they keep? Probably some of both. And they love you, the left. This is why we want to give up our guns, because they love us so much we don't have to fear them. In any case, let's be clear, America in 2018 is not a place where we can disagree without being disagreeable, where there are good people and good ideas on both sides. It's not a place where there are good ideas and good people on both sides, or whatever other bipartisan homily you want to recite. We are instead leaving, living in a cacistocracy, a nation ruled by the worst, and we need to face up to that unpleasant reality. That's what Paul Krugman thinks about you. But the thing is, this is what he thinks about anybody who disagrees with him. You know, I, I was looking around for information on my own. I stumbled on a several years old article by a woman named Carol Markowitz from the Daily Beast. Now, the Daily Beast, as I recall, is actually a left-wing thing, right? Yeah. Here, Carol Markowitz. His convention was called one of the worst ever. Chris Matthews deemed him dangerous and scary. Ellen DeGeneres said, if you're a woman, you should be very scared. His opponent ran an ad against him, portraying him as uniquely dangerous for women. I've never felt this way before, but it's a scary time to be a woman, said a woman in the ad. He was frequently called a bully, anti-immigrant, racist, stupid, and unfit to be president. Who was it? 
Mitt Romney. That's right, Mitt Romney, one of the nicest people who ever ran for president. I didn't agree with a lot of what he said. I don't think he ran a particularly good campaign, but there was no getting around the fact that he was a noble, decent, honorable human being who did things for his neighbors, who did things for anybody he could help. A New Republic article, this is still quoting from the Daily Beast, proclaimed, yes, Romney's vision for America really is that scary. The Huffington Post headline read, the severe danger of a Romney presidency. Rolling Stone explained why President Romney would be a disaster for women. And Nick Kristoff in the New York Times pontificated on how Romney would treat women Spoiler alert, not well. Mitt Romney was, of course, far from the first Republican presidential candidate to get this treatment. George W. Bush, John McCain, and any Republican who has the audacity to challenge a Democrat for the presidency are treated to ever more alarmist rhetoric. Every gaffe, every uncorroborated story is blown up by a media seemingly unaware of its extreme bias. This is from the Daily Beast. Lest you imagine all presidential candidates get this kind of media treatment? Well, not quite. Barack Obama wasn't stupid when he said there were 57 states. He wasn't racist when he listened to Pastor Jeremiah Wright's sermons for 20 years. He wasn't insane when he said he would lower the oceans. He wasn't unfit when he said he would end the Iraq war on the very day he took office. He continually got the benefit of the doubt the Republicans never get from the press. And she goes on to quote, who do you think? Paul Krugman as flinging every insult he has got in his book against Mitt Romney and George W. Bush. This is, and the thing is, they don't understand. What they don't understand is our argument is not that our guys are good. I mean, nobody picks on Republican politicians like Republicans. Our, our argument is not that Donald Trump is a good person. It never has been. Our argument is that you leftists are so much worse and your particular bad traits affect our freedoms in ways that Donald Trump's don't. It's a binary system. We got to choose one or the other. We choose the bad guy who will keep our freedoms rather than your bad guys who will go up against them. You know, one of the things you, you want to do in the, sh in the short month of February and also uh, as the year, still kind of the beginning of the year, you still got your resolutions in place, you want to get in shape. And the whole thing about getting in shape, especially in L.A., I'll tell you, especially in Los Angeles, is getting to the place where you work out. That is why I have a machine in my house. I also go out and hike. But with Peloton, you can get this incredibly modern, advanced device. It is a bicycle, an in-house, stationary bike. I went to the store to look at it. I actually went down into Century City, which, you know, in, in L.A., it's like a mile away, so it take, took me three hours to get there. I went and looked at this thing, and it is an amazing piece of machinery. It's, a, you know, a Peloton bike, and it has a very small footprint, so you can put it almost anywhere in your house. You can put it, like, in a corner. It's got a two-by-four footprint, the way it's belt, uh, built. And the Peloton bike has a belt drive. So as you're riding on it, it's amazing. It is completely silent. So if you put it in the bedroom, you're not going to wake up your spouse if you exercise later at night. It also has got a 22-inch HD touchscreen in front of it. And the thing is, when you get it, you also get, purchase a subscription to one after another biking classes. And they're just, you can get them live, you can save them, you have a big library of them. If you like, there's one particular one you like, you can do them so that you have a race, you know, across a background or whatever you want. And it really will keep you, do, it'll keep you interested in doing it so you don't stop. There really are, I was really impressed with the device. You can discover this cutting-edge indoor cycling bike that brings the studio experience to your home. Peloton is offering listeners a limited-time offer. Go to OnePeloton.com. That's O-N-E. 
Peloton, P-E-L-O-T-O-N.com. Enter the code Claven at checkout. <laughs> you say, yes, but how do I spell Claven? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. That will get you $100 off accessories with your Peloton bike purchase. Get a great workout at home anytime you want. Go to OnePeloton.com and use the code Claven to get started. Really is an impressive machine. You just go and take a look at one of them uh, just to see what they're like because they very, they're very cool. So, you know, I'm thinking about these uh, Russian indictments, the 13 people, I think another guy, some minor guy was also uh, charged today. And the left is trying to push this as a big deal. Now, it seems to me, obviously, I think it's a bad thing for the Russians to manipulate. It's against the law. They shouldn't manipulate our elections. But it just doesn't seem like a very big thing. And, and we know, we know that no matter what they did, you can't really rig an American election. We, we have an expert uh, on this. This is a uh, um, cut number 10. There is no serious person out there who would suggest somehow that you could even you could even rig America's elections. There's no evidence that that has happened in the past or that there are instances in which that will happen this time. And so uh, I'd advise Mr. Trump to stop whining and go try to make his case to get votes. You know, what's funny is I put this in our uh, cut sheets, in our sound sheet, and then Trump started tweeting it out. It was like he was reading my mind. He started tweeting this out. Now, just to, to go back and remind us that from the beginning, Hillary told us that it was awful. What did she say? It was, I can't remember the word she used. It was something, some horrible word, outrageous, dreadful, something. For, for Trump to say that he might not accept the outcome of the election because he felt the press was so much against him and he wanted to see how it went and he knew the Democrats cheat, which they do. Uh, but Hillary said that's awful and she swore she would accept the election results. Let's cut one. Are you willing to accept the outcome as the will of the voters? Secretary Clinton? Well, I support our democracy. And uh, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Uh, <laughs> but I uh, certainly uh, will support the outcome of this election. Uh, and I know Donald's trying very hard to plant doubts about it, but I hope the people out there understand this election's really up to you. It's not about us so much as it is about you and your family. Uh, and then after she lost and had a hit, started hitting the Chardonnay, not so much cut two. But I was on the way to winning until the combination of Jim Comey's letter on October 28th and Russian WikiLeaks raised doubts in the minds of people who were inclined to vote for me, but got scared off. And the evidence for that intervening uh, event is, I think, um, compelling, persuasive. So now, <laughs> I mean, what, what the point that I'm trying to make is the same point I was just making about Paul Krugman, is they will say anything, and they say it all the time, and the exceptional nature of Donald Trump, even though he is an outlandish, out, you know, an outsized character who does a lot of things that people have not done in the office before, it is not, they have been screaming wolf all this time, and they will say anything. They will say anything. Here's a child. Here's a child. Let me hold up this child. Is it a dead child? I'll hold up a dead child. Jim Carrey was posting pictures of, of children who had been shot, uh, you know, to try and convince me they will say anything. So now they come out and they they uh, indict these 13 guys, 
indictments that will never be proved. These people will never be tried. They're back safely in Russia. So it's just an indictment. But even the assistant, uh, the deputy attorney general, Rod Rosenstein, is saying this did not affect the election. And he's saying there's no evidence so far. It's, you know, obviously the investigation goes on. He says there's no evidence that Trump was involved. Just play that second clip of him. Now, there is no allegation in this indictment that any American was a knowing participant in this illegal activity. There is no allegation in the indictment that the charge conduct altered the outcome of the 2016 election. I want to caution you that everyone charged with a crime is presumed innocent unless and until proven guilty in court. Uh, now, now I want you to, you to look at, this is a beautiful, beautiful cut. This is absolutely perfect on how a narrative is constructed. This is Karen Tumulty of the Washington Post talking to Potato, Brian Potato Head Stelter at CNN. And she goes over the top on describing this. And then Stelter says, oh boy, now look, you, now you said this and Fox News is going to attack you for it as if the fact that it were Fox News immediately makes the attack irrelevant and not worthwhile. Just listen to the way this plays out. You look at the president's tweets this morning and try to imagine if Franklin D. Roosevelt, after Pearl Harbor, had gotten on the radio and said that Tokyo was laughing at us, uh, to use a little mm. less crude phrase than he did. Sure. That is not what is called upon a, a president to do right now. You know what's going to happen, though, Karen? Someone on Fox News is going to take what you just said. They're going to say, how dare you compare this to Pearl Harbor? It is an attack on our country. Uh, it is an attack on our country with use of 21st century means. And it is definitely a national security threat, which is something that the commander in chief is supposed to be dealing with. So it's like, don't tell the truth about us while we're busy lying. You know, it's like they, she, Tucker Carlson actually went out and said, this is absurd. And they said, it was just like Brian Stelter said. He called her out for calling it Pearl Harbor. She called it Pearl Harbor before he said it. She called it Pearl Harbor again after he said it. Fox News is right. And what Brian Stelter does and what they always do is they demonize the opposition. So it's Fox News. Fox News said it. Fox News said two and two is four. Are you going to believe two and two is four? Fox News said it. This is the way they construct narrative. And it's all about narrative with them. It's none, none of it is about the facts. So what are the Russians doing? What were the Russians doing? They were staging rallies for and against Donald Trump, for him when they thought he wasn't going to get elected, and for Bernie Sanders when they thought he wasn't going to get elected, just to undermine the woman they thought was going to get elected, Hillary. And after Trump get, got elected, they started staging rallies against Donald Trump. They just wanted they just want to cause as much trouble as they can. Let's take a look at one of those rallies in New York, right? The thing is, the Russians were so incompetent, they, all they could get were like a couple of hundred people to show up for a rally against Donald Trump. I mean, after all, with the left ginning up everybody, you think thousands of people, but the Russians could only get a few hundred. But that's okay, because MSNBC and CNN were there to cover it uh, with incredible sympathy. It was cut number eight. NBC's Morgan Radford is at Union Square in New York City. That is where the anti-Trump protest is just about to kick off. And Morgan, with a good day to you, what's happening there right now? 
Well, Alex, it's already started. In fact, you can see hundreds of people behind me here in Union Square. I want to show you some of the signs and the posters they're holding up here. You can see one here that says, Knowledge Trump, Hate, Protect Our Public Schools, Teachers Against Trump. You see people that are really saying that this is the time for them to come together. They're trying to say they're being more inclusive. And that's because thousands of people, as you know, Alex, are feeling marginalized by President-elect Donald Trump's comments. And they said, this is a love rally. This After they pointed in that direction, they yelled, we're not going to be um, tolerating any sexism or homophobia or racism. And that is really the message. All of sort of these protesters coming together, frustrated, angry, and all directed at the president-elect. Yeah. Hey, Morgan, can you tell who has organized this rally? It has been suggested that so many of the protests across this country have been impromptu rallies. I mean, it's been supported by a very diverse array of constituents. Is there someone in charge here? <laughs> Right now, this is a lot of different groups of people who have come yeah, together I with no necessarily official leader. Yeah, it was Boris Badenov. It was Vladimir Putin was in charge. I mean, they're so sympathetic. What is the difference? Can you spot the difference between CNN, MSNBC, and Vladimir Putin? There's no space between them. And now we hear that Russian you know, bots that they use to send out as much uh, information as they can have immediately jumped on the gun debate and are immediately, you know, trying to divide people on this very difficult issue because there's emotions on both sides, there's powerful arguments. There's not that many powerful arguments for, for uh, banning guns, but there are powerful arguments on both sides. And I just want to play this one cut because as... I usually don't pick on MSNBC because they're openly left-wing, and I think that's fair. It's CNN that pretends to be a news station but is a left-wing... Uh, propaganda outfit. It's NBC that pretends to be a news station, but is a left-wing propaganda outfit. Those are the guys I go after. But I just want to show you Chris Matthews coaxing this kid, coaching this kid on air to get him to say what he wants to say in order to manipulate your emotions. You know what you're up against? The power of the gun lobby, the NRA. They want guns basically available to anyone open carry in Florida. 18-year-old, you can buy an AR-15, an assault rifle. They basically want as free an availability as guns as possible in this universe, more free than anywhere in the, in the world, they want to make it easy to get a gun and carry a gun and openly display it. They are all the way with this thing. You're up against that. <clears throat> Yeah, you know, it's absolutely disgusting how how easy it is uh, to access, you know, these assault weapons. No other country in the world, uh, this is, uh, it's not easy like it is in America. And, of course, America has constant mass shootings. It seems to be like a daily thing now. Um, but, you know, we know what we're up against. Uh, the NRA has consolidated a lot of power. They have a lot of politicians in their back pocket. But as long as politicians continue to uh, uh, get money from the NRA, we're going to vote them out. So they're going to get what's coming to them. You know, my point is not that the Russians and the news media both have the same goals of spreading disinformation and discord. Oh, wait. That's exactly my point. I just want you to imagine for one minute, what if the New York Times really did have all the news that was fit to print? What if CNN really could be the most trusted name in news? What if after the debacle of their coverage of the Obama administration, this corrupt administration, their attempts to cover up Obamagate, his misuse of power, what if they reformed themselves? What if they started trying to tell the news straight up, both sides of, the, of opinion, all the facts they could get their hands on, just delivering the news as it came in instead of manipulating our emotions, the Russians would have no power. 
the Russians could come in here and spread disinformation all they wanted, but we would know that we could go to our news media and get trusted, worthy information. It's them. It is them. They are the ones who caused this problem. The Russians would be helpless if they weren't such corrupt liars. All right, we got DC McAllister coming up. We got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Come on over to thedailywire.com and you can listen or subscribe. You could watch the whole thing right there. And if you subscribe for a year, you get the leftist tears mug. It automatically fills up every time I speak. D.C. McAllister, Denise McAllister, is a, a senior contributor at The Federalist, also a contributor at PJ Media, like me. Uh, she writes about Donald Trump, feminism, Me Too, and more. She's also a strong proponent for the pro-life movement uh, and acts as a speaker advocating for the rights of the unborn children. She has been around a lot. She doesn't get enough attention. She is an excellent writer, really uh, interesting writer. It's good to see you, D.C. It's been a long time. I haven't seen you since uh, the, that ricochet gathering, I think. I know, out in California. Now, oh, you, you still look the same, still great. <laughs> no, no, I'm crumbling slowly. It's just, it's no, just I, I no. hold myself together for 45 minutes at a time, and then they turn off the cameras and I just collapse. Uh, um, I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> now, I want the thing I want to talk about before we get start talking about the state of play between the sexes is one of the things that is fascinating about you is your life and the place that you're coming from. Now, when you and I met, I seem to remember that you have something like 77 children. Is that right? You have like a, about 112 <laughs> children, <laughs> something like that. I have three children, three stepchildren, but we raised them all. So. Okay. All right. So you raised- Quite a handful. You raised six children. That is a lot. You are now a, a very respected uh, writer and commentator. You obviously are taking care of a lot of human beings. You were not always like this, and I have read stories about you that are uh, very moving, that you really came to the brink. I mean, I remember one particular story about you're going to get an abortion. Can you tell, tell people a little bit about your life, how you got to be here? When I talk to women about abortion and pro-life issues, they often say to me, you cannot relate to me. You don't understand the struggle I'm going through, how difficult it is, that I don't have any support, that I have nothing to look forward to, and that abortion's my only option. And I have to tell them I do understand. You know, I was there. About 17 years ago, um, I was married, and I was in the ministry, actually, and I got separated from my husband, and during that time when we were discussing getting back together, I got pregnant with another man's baby. And I was a member of a church at the time that was very conservative, very fundamental. And they believed that if you divorced your spouse, then you also gave up rights to your children. Mm. And uh, it was a very traumatic time. I was pregnant. They had actually taken away my children at one point. I didn't know where they were. And I had two children at the time, uh, a four-year-old and a two-year-old, a boy and a girl. And... I was devastated. I had had a job. I'd lost my job. I lost all my friends. I lost all my connections. I lost my children. And here I was pregnant. And I just thought, I sat in the parking lot one day of the abortion center. It was really hot. And I, one memory I have of it is French fries in the car. Anyone with kids knows what that's like, the French fries in the car and that kind of smell. And it just brought tears to my eyes. It, it reminded me of good times with my children and how I wanted just everything to be normal again. And I think that's how a lot of women are when they get pregnant, they get in these situations. They just want it easy, they want it normal. They want happy times again. And this pregnancy has disrupted everything. And I wanted my children back. I wanted my life back. I wanted my church back, my job. Everything could be fixed if I just killed my child. Hmm. And I, you know, I, I 
went into the abortion clinic. There were two girls there ahead of me. And I just, I remember the woman at the desk said, can I help you? And I was like, actually you can't. No, you can't help me. There's only one person that can help me and that's my savior. And I could not shed the blood of my daughter. You know, blood had already been shed for what I had done. And by God's grace, I was able to move forward to have my baby. It has been a difficult life. I actually named her Grace. Um, and it's been a difficult, it's been a struggle. It, there was a period of time after that that I didn't have any money. I lived in this really grungy apartment with bugs on the floor. I didn't have any support except for a bit from my ex-husband and some help from my parents. I didn't have a job. I had to go find out a way to get money. A church ended up helping me. And it was through the support of, of Christians, support of the church. We hear a lot of bad things said about the church. You know, this is my, my story is pretty interesting because I had a bad rap from the church, but I also had the church who helped me. And um, God is gracious. And I've had 17 years later, have a beautiful daughter who's given me love and happiness in life. And if these women just know the joy that can come out of suffering, the hardship that can come out of very difficult situations, and just the beauty and the grace that can come out of just a nightmarish situation. That, it's an incredible story. And I mean, I think that just because you're in a church doesn't mean the church is following the way. And just because they call mm -hmm. him Lord, Lord doesn't mean they do what he tells them to do. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that so now you have come through this, and now, so you can stand before people and tell them about abortion. But, but one of the things that you write about, too, is in this moment of, of Me Too, you really write very forcefully about the fact, trying to get the facts of the way men and women are. I want to read just a little bit of a piece that you wrote that really leapt out at me. Uh, one of the reasons I asked you to come on during this Me Too thing, you said, here's a little secret we have to say out loud. Women love the sexual interplay they experience with men, and they relish men desiring their beauty because it is part of their nature. I mean, that is so simple and so obviously true, and yet that has become controversial. When you look at this Me Too movement, how, how do you address this? I know women have been mistreated. I know some of these stories they tell are horrific. I'm in Hollywood. I know exactly how people treat women here. What, what do you want to say to them about that? Yeah, and I'm in the DC media, so I know, we, we know <laughs> yeah. that there's uh, bad things that happen. And we, we always have to make that caveat. You know, we do understand that women are hurt by men, that these things happen, and we don't want that to happen. But we're not talking about that just with the Me Too movement. We're talking about a feminism movement that really is about uh, coming in between the relationships of men and women. It's about emasculating men, calling masculinity toxic. And ultimately, it's about making women the victims, an oppressed class. That's something that's really necessary in a culturally Marxist environment is to have an oppressed class. Mm. And for women to really gain power in society with the sexism charges, they need to show that they're victims and they need to have an oppressor that needs to be brought down so that they can have power. Because feminism is not really about women, it's, it's about power. We have our rights today. The feminist movement really should not exist mm. as, a, as a defender of an oppressed class. Because we have equality in America. We have respect between the sexes. Generally speaking, we do. And, but this feminist movement for power needs to press the idea and the belief that women are oppressed. 
And that's what's coming out of the, the Me Too movement. That's why you're getting, oh, he just looked at me wrong in a meeting, or I felt his eyes upon me. Oh, my gosh, he asked me out. He may have even, like, touched my hand. Oh, you know, just this, you know, fainting couch puritanical kind of behavior from feminists who are supposed to be strong women coming out of the sexual revolution. And weren't we supposed to behave just like men and have, you know, sex just like men? Uh, where did that go? So... But now but it is necessary because the whole sexism and feminism charge has been fading. It hasn't been working, not really. They've tried this war on women, but it, it doesn't always take hold, not like racism does. Mm. And so they really are latching on to this because we are now victims, we're oppressed, and we can bring all those nasty men down who have been oppressing us with the patriarchy, and we will finally have our day. And so, that's what it's about. And that's why I oppose it with every fiber of my being wow, as a that, woman. That, that is, you know, I, I love hearing this because when I say it, nobody, nobody pays attention. But I think... But I think you yeah, can't I mean, say it. I have to say it. You're the man. <laughs> exactly. But now, now you've raised uh, at least one daughter. I don't know how many of your kids are girls. A, a, a girl comes to you today and says, um, you know, she's 12, 13, and she's going out into life. What do you tell her? What's the advice that you would give a girl that age? I have four girls, oh. two, two stepdaughters and two daughters. And I tell them, you know, if you're going to have sexual tension with boys, they're going to look at you. These are how boys are. So one thing I have done with my daughters is explain to them who men are and be honest about them and not be afraid of them and not be afraid of that sexual tension and that it's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. The dance, the interaction, the sexual tension you have there, that, that's what we're made of. That's what relationships, that's how love is formed. And I, I see this attack on this relationship as really attack on our humanity and the relationships that, that support it. But uh, I just tell them, don't be afraid of that. Now, but if a, if a guy touches you, does anything inappropriate, and you know exactly, as a woman, we know. If, we, if we're not afraid of men already, if we don't have those presuppositions that he's a predator already, we naturally know when a man has crossed the line from flirting or, you know, being, you know, awkward, rude, the way men can be. And uh, we know, and I said, you shut him down as a, you know, don't run to the nearest authority if you don't have to, shut him down, empower you. I want my girls empowered. You know, slap him upside the face if he's doing something to you. You know, that's what they used to do. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, but, but if, you, if you really have a problem, do go to authority, do report it. If something happens to you, do not hide it. Come to me as your parent, you know, come go to someone at the church and go to an authority so that you can report it because you don't want to be one of these women several years later who are reporting things and can't prove it and no one believes them. So, you know, if you've been violated, you need to go to an authority and make sure that it's dealt with. So just using my incredible uh, powers of, uh, of deduction, if you have four girls, you have two boys, and I, I can't help but... Isn't that amazing? I wasn't an English major. I can still do that. But <laughs> if, if, I'm bad at math, too. It's okay. We're writers. If, I can't help but think... I mean, I did not grow up in an atmosphere where people were calling me toxic, where people were saying my masculinity was toxic. It was rather the other, other way around, be a man, you know, stand up, do what you have to do, which actually I found incredibly helpful. I thought he gave me some very good uh, guidance on how to behave. What do you say to your sons when they're young, when they're just coming into the world, uh, you know, as, as social beings? What's your advice to them? Well, it's understood you will respect women. Mm. You will respect me. 
you will honor them. You will not take advantage of them. I can't even imagine my, my boys doing that. I can't. Of course not. They're, yeah. they're um, loving to, to the women in their lives. And, you know, I can't imagine them even doing it because I've just said, you will respect them. And so they know that. They know uh, because they value their sisters. They value their mothers. They value femininity. And, uh, you know, so I, I've taught them that value. Their father has led them in that value. And to show them what a man looks like, you know, and treats us. They're free to see how, and I know this may offend some people, the sexual interplay between me and my husband. I mean, not not intimately, but, you know, just the sure. flirting and we're affectionate and what that is healthy looks like and the, the sexual interplay between the masculinity and the femininity there. And they've seen it and they aren't afraid of it. They know what it looks like. And hopefully they will want it in their own relationship one day. And I think they do. They want to have that close bonding that that complementary relationship that is so beautiful between men and women so i tell them you know be don't let these feminists beat you down you know be a man be strong be proud of who you are you know take care of women use your strength to actually protect women because let me tell you if you want to be really defend women the best defenders of women are strong good men it's so simple it's yes. not the yeah. yaya it's not the yaya sisterhood that's going to come save you when the bad strong <laughs> man comes after you yeah. I, you know i'm serious i mean i've had situations in my life where i mean i've had bad men in my life dealing with me i didn't run to the girls they're weak i'm sorry i go to the men right. the strong good men i went to my father my father was a marine he protected me i grew up near a military town i love strong men who are protecting me who uh, risk their lives for me men do all the hard work they do all the nasty jobs they 99% of them are in you know dangerous jobs compared to women and you know i value that because i know myself I know as a woman, I don't have the strength and fortitude that a man has. And I can have my femininity nurtured, valued, and protected by a strong, good man. And that's what I want my sons to be. This is the thing that drives me, drives me crazy about the feminist feminism is that it devalues femininity, one of the great uh, joys and comforts of the world. I mean, one of the things that makes the world, any, any uh, good of the world is going to include that. And it's just, it, it makes me insane that they kind of knock it down in the, in the name of feminism. I'm running out of time. I want to ask you one last question because I've noticed you being uh, attacked. Uh, even You were even attacked on one of your own sites, Ricochet, uh, because you support <laughs> Donald Trump. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously, uh, Donald Trump has said rough things about women. He said things about women that are impossible to defend. Uh, he's probably, he seemed, look, he's a billionaire who ran beauty contests. We know how he was living his life. And yet you defend him. Uh, why? Why do you defend him? Well, I don't defend those statements, course, obviously, yeah. even during the election. You know, I, I've experienced the whole range of how men behave toward women. I mean, from abuse you know, to a gentleman who's mm -hmm. treated me like a queen. So I know all the in-betweens. I know exactly what it looks like. And I know that the behavior of Donald Trump and the things that he said, I do not know what he's done. But the things that he has said you know, are not respectful of women always. But he's also said a lot of respectful things to women. And from his actions, he's been very respectful to some women, especially in the workplace. Um, but I'm not going to pretend that he's, you know, a perfect man by any means. I'm not going to defend those comments. But he's also a political figure. He's a, he's a secular figure. He is a political leader. And I'm under no illusion, delusion that uh, these men are flawed deeply. Every president in our history has been flawed like this. And that doesn't mean that two wrongs make a right. But I also know that this man is not my pastor. He is my president. He's making civil decisions for me and not spiritual decisions for me. Do I want him to be a good man? Do I want him to have good character? I want him to be trustworthy. 
Now, I do find him to be trustworthy as a political leader, as a president, as much as you can trust presidents. You know, <laughs> I'm a member of the press. You never really should trust them completely. Yeah. Um, but you know what I'm saying. You, you have to have some measure of confidence in, in them. And, and I do, and especially compared to Hillary Clinton during the election. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I'm not going to beat him up about things. Now, if he's violated the law, if he's done something criminal, we need to deal with that. But, you know, he's not my pastor. He's my president, and that's what I'm looking for. What are you What are you doing to make our country more free, our country stronger, and our country, you know, really great? And again, <laughs> to put yeah. it in his terms, <laughs> you uh, know, uh, I appreciate that. DC McAllister, you are a uh, just an amazing voice of common sense. Uh, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing to me that things you say are controversial when they're so clearly true. Uh, a senior contributor at the Federalist, an excellent site, also at PJ Media, where I am, but it also an excellent site in spite of that. Uh, and you can find her on Twitter at McAllister Den D E N. Denise, thank you very much. I hope you'll come back again. I will. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. It's good to see you. All right. All right, sexual, she's really terrific, isn't she? She's, she's really something else. All right, let's, uh, sexual follies. No sexual follies? Oh, there it is. <laughs> I want these things on immediately. I want to save and I saved and I read it. Uh, <laughs> whoever followed that guy, you know? <laughs> anyway, sorry, I'm off the topic here. Uh, from the Atlantic, no right wing side. <laughs> sorry, my Hitler imitation just broke through. Some, sometimes my inner Hitler just comes out. The more gender equality, the fewer women in STEM, which are the sciences. A new study explores what is, of course, to a leftist, a strange paradox. In countries that empower women, they women are less likely to choose math and science professions. Uh, why, why do they even say that's a paradox? Why don't they just start with the facts? Uh, though their numbers are growing, only 27% of all students taking the AP computer science exam in the United States are female. The gender gap, gap only grows worse, as she says. Maybe they should just say grows larger from there. Just 18% of American computer science college degrees go to women. This is the United States, where many college men proudly describe themselves as feminists, and girls are taught they can be anything they want to be. In other words, if you leave women alone, they tend to go into things that deal more with relationships and more. And I'll tell you something else, by the way, that that the most important thing that when when a woman is about 30, 35, the most important thing in her life will be who she marries, will be whether she's married and who she marries. And, and she will say that. She will say it. Her family and that will be the most important thing, whereas guys just get very hooked on their work and they get very addicted to their work. And that's what they care about. They Men care about things. Women care about people. You know, I mean, that's obviously big generalities, but just saying, you know, and, and, the, and the thing is, this is kind of what DC was saying. Why, why, where do these people, these feminists, any of these leftists, anybody, where do they get the right to dictate to you what you should want, who you should be? I do not understand that. I do not understand why that constitutes freedom. I don't understand why it constitutes equality. If anything, if anything, freedom and equality should let you be who you want including a wife and mother, including a person who cares more about people than things, including a person who rolls her eyes at men because men are different from you and the way men roll their eyes at women because women are different. I just don't understand the, the entire logic of it. And I think that logic has to be crushed, destroyed, and stomped on, and then swept away with a broom. Not to overstate it, but <laughs> I left out blowing it up. Didn't I? Exploding it? Okay. All right. Well, tomorrow. Tomorrow's the mailbag.
Come on, get subscribed to thedailywire.com. Get your questions in there. I will answer them all. Answers are guaranteed. 100% correct. will change your life on occasion for the better. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. I'll see you tomorrow. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And our animations are by Cynthia Angulo and Jacob Jackson. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright forward publishing 2018.